Welcome to our Painesville Assembly of God podcast. Our desire is to connect people to a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. If this message touches your heart, we'd love to hear about it. Email us at info at or visit PainesvilleAG.com. We pray that this message will be an encouragement to your faith. Well, this week, let's get into the Word. This week, I read a story about a, a man named Dashroth Manji, and uh, he made a change. He was uh, a guy who, who lived very quiet, a very quiet life in the northeastern hill country of India, and, uh, and he was a goat farmer. That's what he did by trade. He was a goat farmer. Uh, but he encountered something that, that, uh, that, that changed his life and changed some of the trajectory uh, of his life and, and, and the purpose for which he, he thought that he should live his life. You see, he had a tragedy take place. His wife one day had uh, fallen downside the hillside, uh, in, in the countryside, fallen down a hillside. She was seriously injured. And the problem with that is, is that his village had no hospital. There was no hospital system in his village. There was no way for him to be able to get medical help for her there. But he was on the other side of the mountain. And the village where there was a hospital was on the back side of the mountain. And it took 45 miles to go around. And he had no car. There was not a, a vehicle that he could take to, to get around. And so it became a very serious situation for him. And following that, he said, you know, I don't want anybody else in my village to have to go through this if we have some type of a serious medical situation. And so he looked at the mountain that stood on, on one side and the village on the other side, and he said, there's got to be a way to take and, 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 and shorten this trip. And the only way through that was to carve a way through the mountain. And so he sold some of his goats and he bought a hammer and a chisel. Yeah, that's right. A hammer and a chisel. And for 22 years, every day he would get up and he would spend time hammering and chiseling at the side of that mountain. And finally, after 22 years, he had cut through the rock and made a dirt path 30 foot high, 25 foot wide, and 360 feet long is what that passage that connected his village to the next closest village that had a hospital uh, and, a, and a medical uh, place for it. Literally cutting the time down from 45 miles to four miles. 22 years. It was a huge change, not just for himself, but a change that impacted his entire village. And I share that because today we're gonna look at a, another man in scripture. In fact, he was a, a young man. Uh, when he first started out, he was actually a child. We're going to take a look because when he got a hold of God and God got a hold of his heart, it began a reset not only in his life, not only in the generations of his family, but also changed the course of a nation. Who am I talking about? I'm talking about a young king by the name of Josiah, a young king by the name of Josiah. Today, we're going to be looking in 2 Kings chapter 22, and we're also going to look at 2 Chronicles chapter 34. So if you have a copy of God's Word, you can open that up. You can follow along on the app notes that we have for you are on the screen as well. But we're going to take a look at Josiah's life, and we're going to see what were some of the decisions that Josiah made in his life that led to a reset, not only for him, but for the entire nation that he led, the nation of Judah. So let me, let me give you a little background on Josiah. Josiah is not one of those biblical characters that we often get into. So let me give you a little background in his life. Josiah's great, 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 great grandfather was King David. 
And have you remember that God made a covenant with David that he would always have a king on the throne in his line generationally. The problem was that following David's son Solomon, whose son was Rehoboam, there was a division that took place in the kingdom. And Rehoboam, he, he began to, to, to be the king under that covenant that God had made with David to the southern tribe of Judah. He maintained the kingdom in what we call the southern tribes with his Judah. So if you read uh, second, first and second Kings, first and second Chronicles, you're going to see lines of different kings and it can get confusing because there was another man by the name of Jeroboam who rebelled against the kingdom and the kingdom was divided, kind of a civil, a civil division that took place historically in Israel. And Jeroboam took 10 of the tribes of the 12 tribes of Israel and he went up and led them into the north. The problem was is that he led them into deep idolatry away from God. And upon his line, not, not in the line of David, but different kings that would take over after assassinations and different things. So in his line is a wicked king by the name of Ahab and his wife Jezebel. Anybody ever heard those stories before? And King Eli and Elijah. That was in the northern tribes of Israel. Meanwhile, down in the southern tribes of Judah, you'd have king after king, and some of them would serve the Lord, and others of them would lead the people of Israel away from the Lord and into the practices of the nations around them, into idolatry and into immorality away from God. And in this process, there was a king, a grandfather to Josiah, whose name was Manasseh. Has anybody ever heard the name Manasseh before? And Manasseh reigned 55 years in Judah, but Manasseh was not a good king. Manasseh led the people deeply into idolatry. In fact, take a look at what 2 Kings chapter 21, starting in verse 9, how it describes what Manasseh's reign looked like. Manasseh led them to do even more evil than the pagan nations that the Lord had destroyed when the people of Israel entered the land. He's going all the way back to the days of Joshua. And when Joshua came in, Israel came in and they routed the, the nations that were there because God's wrath had been stored up and God was giving that land over to Israel and driving out those pagan nations. Now Manasseh comes in and he leads the people to do even more evil than those nations had done. That's pretty bad, isn't it? So you, you have a wicked king who led them into idolatry, built pagan altars, and not only built them out around, but the very temple that Solomon had built, the very place where they were supposed to be sacrificed and worshiped to God, he set up two idols in the outer courts of the temple to these other pagan gods. That's what Manasseh did. And they worshiped two main gods, a lot of different gods, but two main gods that they worshiped were the ones that you've heard of before, like in the northern tribes of Israel under Ahab and Jezebel, Baal and Asheroth. Baal and Asherah. Well, who was Baal? Let me give you a little background on Baal. Baal was a, a, a deity or a, a god that they believed represented agriculture and rainfall. And so in an agricultural society where the main economy, the main way in which they gain wealth, the main way in which they, they, they have resources and wealth comes from agriculture, comes from farming. How many know rain is really important to that? And so kind of the God of the rainfall, the God of the agriculture, so they would sacrifice to these gods so that their economy would be good. Uh, on top of that, you had Asheroth, and Asheroth was a fertility goddess. 
So if you wanted to have lots of children, then, then you, if you were worshiping other gods, you would, you would find ways to worship Asheroth, this goddess of fertility. And let's just be PG, PG-13 for everybody today. How do you think, if it's a, 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 a goddess of fertility, how do you think you go about worshiping that goddess? Yeah. Yeah, sexual immorality, Right? That, that's how you go about for your livestock, for your people. And, 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 and so because this was such a big thing, they, they began to set up idols to Asheroth. So basically, if I can just summarize it, basically Manasseh led his generation and led the culture of the Israelites away from worshiping God to worshiping wealth and sex. I'm so glad we don't do that today. I'm so glad that's not our culture. And for 55 years, this is what Manasseh did. And if that's bad, not bad enough, Josiah's father's name was Ammon. So when Manasseh died, even though later in his life he tried to turn his life over to God and turn it around, the culture remained the same. And his son Ammon took over. And Ammon, it says this in 2 Kings 21 20, he did what was evil in the Lord's sight just as his father Manasseh had died. And so now you have a second generation, Ammon, who has come in and he is continuing to lead the people into the evil and into the adultery and into the practices of before. In fact, you have this young boy by the name of Josiah who, who has now a grandfather that led the people into a culture of idolatry, into worshiping the God of wealth and the God of, uh, of sexual immorality, sexual uh, into these kind of practices. It was an abusive situation because Manasseh, in ways to honor his gods, even burned his own son in the fire. How many of you know that's abusive? So that's an abusive, godless culture that, that, that honors wealth and sexuality over honoring God. This is the culture. And then his father does the same. And after only two years of his father reigning, his father was assassinated brutally in, in the palace. Brutally in the palace. And so you have a young man by the name of Josiah who at the time when his father is murdered is only eight years old. Scripture says this in 2 Kings 21, 22, 1. Josiah was eight years old when he became king. He reigned in Jerusalem 31 years. His mother was Jedidiah, the daughter of Adiah from Bozkath. Now, let me ask you a question. What kind of chance spiritually do you think that Josiah has in following the Lord? In a culture where his grandfather led Israel to sin deeply, even more so than the pagan nations and the things that they did that was evil before them for 55 years. And then you add two more years where his father continued in the same things in terms of a heritage. What kind of chance does an eight-year-old boy by the name of Josiah possibly have? And yet scripture says this in verse 2. He did what was pleasing, meaning Josiah. He did what was pleasing in the Lord's sight and followed the example of his ancestor David. He did not turn away from doing what was right. What happened? What, what happened to an eight-year-old boy by the name of Josiah? What was different in Josiah's life that wasn't present in his grandfather Messiah and in his father Ammon? 
What was different in the life of Josiah? Why is his narrative different? Why did he break what was happening generationally in his family? If you take a look at Josiah's life, you see that he was birthed into a culture that had been led by his grandfather into deep idolatry and sin and away from God. If you look at his father, it continued and there was, there was murder and there was violence and there was sexuality and there was materialism and wealth and there was the worship of other gods. And here he is raised and left to be raised by a single mom. And yet something changed in his life. Can I tell you something, single moms? You're vital in your children's lives. Single parents, not just single moms, you're vital to your children. You're vital to your children. I don't know if it was his mom, but let me tell you something. Scripture doesn't oftentimes reference the moms in Scripture. Sometimes we, we have those pictures, but more often than not, you're, generationally, you're talking about, and his father was so-and-so, and his father was so-and-so, and his father was so-and-so. But in this passage of Scripture, what we see here, and, and this is not a Mom's Day message, but it might as well be, uh, because it, it says that his mother was Jedediah. His mother was Jedediah. Why does it mention his mother? Because I believe that his mother had a, had a, a place, a, a piece of, the, of, of encouraging him spiritually. To be able to say, hey, look what your daddy, look what your daddy was like. Your daddy continued to lead the people just like your granddaddy did. And I know it's been an abusive culture, and I know they've kicked out God. But let's go a little bit further to your great, 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 great granddaddy, daddy, whose name was David. And God made a covenant with him. And you sit on this throne because of the covenant that God had made with your, with your great, 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 great granddaddy, who was called a man after God's own heart. Oh, Josiah, if you want to lead the people in a different direction, if you want to begin to be the kind of king that leads the people in a different direction, then you've got to begin to get a heart to live like your, your great, 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 great granddaddy, David. You, you can break this generational cycle. You can break the problems and the abuse that was in your granddaddy. You can, you can break the addiction that was in your granddaddy. You can break the problems that were there in your daddy. You don't have to live the way your granddaddy and your daddy did. You can live differently. Friends, I'm here to tell you, you can live differently. God can do a reset in your life. You can live differently, generational in your life. Your background, it looks like you don't have a chance spiritually. But let me tell you something. With God, all things are possible. God can break those things. And God can start something new through you and your family. Ooh, come on, somebody. I'm just going to warn you. I'm preaching today, friends. So I, I, I look at his life and I say, well, what what was it? The results. The things later on when you read through. So I began to say, God, what were some of the decisions that he made in his life? What were some of the decisions that Josiah made in his life that allowed there to be a reset in his life and in his family and in his nation? What, what was it generationally that, that led to a reset in Josiah's life? And here's what I found. And, and, and these are going back to the basics. So we're in football season, right? Anybody enjoying the playoffs and, and football? Some of you like it, some of you don't. Say the Browns aren't in it, I'm not watching. That's okay. You won't, you know, it'll be a while before we watch again. Anyway, that's just, I'm just kidding. No, I'm not. Watch the Cavs. They're better right now. Um, now, Vince Lombardi, anybody heard of Vince Lombardi? Way back, you know, the, in fact, the Super Bowl trophy is called the Vince Lombardi trophy. Vince Lombardi took a football 
in with his guys, professional football. He took a football. He goes, this is a football. Today, this message, this is a, this is a football message. All right? And, 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 and you may not be somebody that believes in Christ, and I'm going to challenge you today. You may be somebody that is a believer. You've been a believer. And I hope today to bring you back to the basics and to challenge you with some things that we've gotten away from. Because here's the first decision Josiah made. Josiah made the decision to seek the Lord. Look at this, 2 Chronicles 34. We're going to jump over to 34 that kind of talks about this parallel. During the eighth year of his reign, when he was still young, Josiah began to seek the God of his ancestor, David. So he's eight years old when he takes the kingdom, and now it's eight years into his his reign. Eight plus eight is what? Help me out. I'm not good at math. 16. How old is he? 16. When did he begin to seek the Lord? 16. 16. There's some teenagers in the house. Let me tell you something. It is never too early to start to seek the Lord. It is never too early, young people, to seek the Lord. God began in the heart of a 16-year-old. God began to call the heart of a 16-year-old to seek him. God began to call the heart of a 16-year-old and said, listen, listen, I've got a different purpose for your life. You don't have to live like your daddy did, and you don't have to live like your granddaddy did. And he began to seek the Lord. Let me tell you, young people, it's time to seek the Lord. God is looking for some some Josiahs, some 16-year-old Josiahs, some 15-year-old Josiahs. God took a a 15-year-old girl by the name of Mary, and he said to her, listen, if you're willing, here's what I'm going to do. You're going you're gonna to be pregnant by the, by, by the Holy Spirit, and you're going to birth the Messiah. You're going to be the mommy of the Messiah. And, and she said, let it be to me according to your will. I don't understand it all. I don't have to understand it, but let it be to me. Josiah, at 16 years old, says, oh, I got to start seeking the Lord. I, I need some wisdom. I need something to change. There's something wrong in our nation. Our nation is going in the wrong direction. Things are heading in the wrong direction. I'm 16. What can I do? I took the throne when I was eight. What can I do? My granddaddy really messed this up. My daddy continued. What can I do? And he said, God, I don't know what to do, but I'm going to seek you because you do. Let me tell you something, friends. A revival and a reset begins when we make it a priority to seek the Lord. We've got to begin to make it a priority to seek God. God is looking for some Josiahs, no matter how young, no matter how old, who will say, I'm tired of what's happening out there. And rather than scroll through all my social media and complain about it, I'm going to get on my knees and start to seek God who can do something about it. But what about my heritage? What about my family? You seek the Lord. Perhaps in your history, there's alcoholism, addiction, abuse, and broken marriages, sexual impurity, materialism, greed. You look at your family history, and there's just problem after problem after problem, and you say, what? What chance do I have? Let me tell you something, young person. When you begin to seek the Lord, it doesn't just young people. When you begin to seek the Lord, God begins to break those things. God begins to break those things. You don't have to let that be a part of your story. You don't have to let that be part of your history. You don't have to pass that legacy down to your children. You can pass a new legacy down. You can pass a new legacy down. Let me encourage you, Josiah made a point to seek the Lord. Psalm 910, those who know your name trust in you. For you, Lord, have never forsaken those who seek you. Never forsaken those who seek you. Psalm 34, 4, I sought the Lord and he answered me and he delivered me from all my fears. 
Isaiah 55, 6, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let me tell you something. A spiritual reset in your life begins when you make a decision to seek the Lord. When you make a decision to say, I'm going to seek the Lord. Oh, there's a lot of places we can seek help from. We look to our friends sometimes. Help me out. Give me some advice. We seek help from our friends. We seek help from, from others. We look at self-help books and we look at self-help re- re- you know, websites and, and and we're looking for all these motivational speakers to give us a TED talk on how we ought to live our lives. Well, let me give you, you what you need is a Jesus talk. Some of you look for TED talks. You're looking for the mouths out here in the wisdom of this world to tell you how to live your life and what you ought to do in your life. And I'm going to tell you something that will never lead you down the path that God wants to lead you. Because God's wisdom is different. God's wisdom is different. When God wanted to take down Jericho, he didn't come up with a battle plan. All right, here's what we're going to do. We're going to line up this group over here and this group, and then we're going to attack the walls of the city, and we're going to catapult this over, and we're going we're to do this. Now he said, you know what we're going to do? Here's what I want you to do. I want you to get the trumpet players and the music players and the lyre and the you know, worship people. I want you to get them out in front, and, and you're going to march. You're going to line up the whole people. We're going to show them everything we've got, all right? They're going to see our entire army. They're going to see our strength. And we're going to go out. We're going to march around the walls. And then we're going to come back. And you know what? The next day, we're going to do the same thing. And the next day, we're going to do the same. I want you to do that for six days. And on the seventh day, I want you to go. And you're going to march seven times around it. And after the seventh time, here's what I want you to do. I want you to blow the trumpets and, la- and just yell out a shout of praise. That, that's how you're going to gain Jericho. Well, God, that just does not make sense. That doesn't seem like wisdom. And God says, that's because it's not about you, it's about me and my glory. God does things all the time that don't make sense. There was an entire army of people that could have taken down Goliath. And God used a shepherd boy who was willing to say yes. God used a shepherd boy. God's using an eight-year-old boy who takes the throne, who's 16, begins to seek the Lord to bring transformation and reformation to his community. Listen, the foolish things of the world confound the wise. God is looking for some people that are willing to seek the foolish things of the world, the things that are in the Bible, the things of faith, the things of God, to begin to, to transform this nation to begin to transform this community, to begin to break things spiritually in your family, but it begins with a decision to seek the Lord. Come on, somebody. Secondly, receive the word of God. Receive the word of God. This is a football. Seek the Lord and receive his word. Seek the Lord and receive his word. Pastor, we're going back to Sunday school. Yeah, we are. Because we get off of it. We forget about it. It says this, 2 Kings 22, verse 3, in the eighth year of his reign, King Josiah, St. Shaphan, son of Azaliah, and grandson of Meshulam, Meshulam, the court secretary to the temple of the Lord, and he told him, go to Hilkiah, the high priest, and have him count the money the gatekeepers have collected from the people at the Lord's temple, and trust this money to the men assigned to the supervised the restoration of the Lord's temple. Then they can use it to pay workers to repair the temple. So what's going on here is after years and years and years of not serving the Lord, 
and, and idol worship, the temple that Solomon had built, the place of worship, the place where Israel was supposed to come and honor God and worship God and celebrate the Passover and, 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 and sacrifice the lamb so that they could stay in right relationship with God. Those types of things in terms of their relationship with God, because that's what the temple represented, Israel and their relationship with God. The practices that were there, the feasts that were there, the celebrations and sacrifices were meant to bring them back and to focus them and help them to, to continue to keep their relationship with with God right, but years and years and years of neglect, the temple had been broken down, idols and things had begun to fill in the temple, and, and that had been the place, and he says, you know, there's a temple tax, and that's been going on, and we've collected some money, so you know, I think it's time to start cleaning up the house of God a bit. It's time to get some things cleaned up in the house of God. It's time to get some things repaired in the house of God. For too long, we've neglected the house of God, and it's time to get back to it. And here's what happened. When they began to get in, and they began to take care of the house of God and stop neglecting it, here's what they discovered. A discovery happened. And, and, and it says this in, in verse 8 of 2 Kings 22. Hilkiah the high priest said to Shaphan, the court secretary, I found the book of the law in the Lord's temple. Then Hilkiah gave the scroll to Shaphan and he read it. And Shaphan went to the king and reported, your officials have turned over the money collected at the temple of the Lord to the workers and supervisor of the temple. And Shaphan has also, to also told the king, Hilkiah the priest has given me a scroll. So Shaphan read it to the king. Guess what they discovered among the, the, the ruins, among the disrepair? Guess what they had discovered? The book of the law. What is the book of the law? That was the scriptures that they had. The Torah, the first five books of the Bible, that, that's where they had the book of the law that, that Moses had written down for them, that God had spoken to them when he was up on the mountain, how they should live. If you read through the book of De Deuteronomy, it talks about the covenant that they had made right there at Mount Sinai with God, that if you do this and if you follow me, I will bless you, but if you disobey me and if you do this, then I will allow these judgments to come upon you. It was right there in the book of the law. The problem was that for 57 years, the book of the law had not been a priority. The book of the law had not been been read. The scriptures had not been put before the people. They had been neglected just as the worship in the house of God had been neglected. The scriptures had been neglected. They were supposed to be there with the Ark of the Covenant. Instead, they had found themselves somewhere in the basement, somewhere in the place of the treasury, all dusty until all of a sudden when the neglect got over, we started to uncover and we started to read what was happening in the book of the law. Friends, can I tell you something? We live in a biblically illiterate culture. We have more access to the gospel, more access to the word of God than we've ever had before, and yet it is most neglected and more neglected than it's ever been before. Friends, if we want to see a reformation in our culture, if we want to begin to see a revival in our nation, if we want to see a change in our nation, we've got to get back to honoring the book of the law, to honoring the scriptures, to getting into God's word. We have neglected God's word for far too long, and that's why we're in the situation that we're in. I'm going to let that sit for a moment. When Martin Luther had started the Reformation, one of the, the biggest parts of that Reformation, things that happened with people like William Tyndale and others, was to get the copy of God's Word in the Scripture from being chained to pulpits and written only in a, la in a language that, that the common people didn't understand to get it translated, to get it away, and to get it into the hands of the people. It was the word of God as much as anything else that brought about a reformation in Martin Luther's day. Friends, we need a reformation. 
We need a reformation in our culture. We need God to do something in our culture that begins to change our our culture. But you know where it begins? It begins in the house of the Lord. Judgment begins in the house of the Lord. And for far too long, we as believers have neglected the word of God. We have not allowed the word of God to transform our lives. We may have read it, but we don't receive it. We don't allow it to change us. We don't allow it to change us. The word of God brings change to our lives. The Word of God brings change to our lives. An idol-infested, biblically illiterate culture was where Josiah found himself in. But when the book of the law was read to him, he began to to say, we got to look into this more. What are we going to do with this? In fact, verse 11 of 2 Kings 22 says, when the king heard what was written in the book of the law, he tore his clothes in despair. Then he gave the orders to Hilkiah the priest and Achaikim the son of Shaphan, uh, Akbor son of Micaiah, Shaphan the, short, the, the uh, court secretary, Asiah the king's personal advisor. He said, go to the temple and speak to the Lord for me and for the people. In other words, begin to intercede for us. Speak to the Lord. We're, we're seeing his word. This, we're not doing things right. We, speak to the Lord for us. Go and inquire about the words written in the scroll. Go dig deeper. What do they mean? What, what does this mean? What, what, what is in here? What do we have to do? How do we change? For the Lord's great anger is burning against us because our ancestors have not obeyed the words of this scroll. For we have not been doing everything it says we must do. Did you see what he said, what he did? He didn't just hear it. It wasn't merely being a hearer of the word. He was a doer also. What are we going to do? What are we going to do with this book? What are we going to do with what's written? What are we going to do with this? Find out more. Inquire of the Lord. Begin to pray. God, reveal your scripture. God, what is this passage saying? I don't understand the word of God when I read it. Ask the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is your counselor. The Holy Spirit will help you. If you will pray and say, help me to understand the word of God. The word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, Hebrews says. It's living and active. Why? Because it's Jesus. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word is Jesus. If you want to know Jesus, you got to know His Word. If you got to know Jesus, you got to get into His Word. You cannot neglect reading your Bible. You can't neglect reading your Bible. You cannot neglect studying your Bible. You can't neglect getting into your Bible. Because when you, when you don't get into your Bible, then you begin to believe all the lies that culture preaches. Culture begins to preach all these lies. Let me tell you something. Hollywood is telling you something. It's not just entertainment. They are preaching messages to you. Every television show is preaching, you, preaching to you messages. They are giving you illustrated sermons right in front as to what you ought to value, as to what is normal, as to what is okay, as to what is acceptable. They're, they're, they're telling you what it is to love your neighbor because loving your neighbor looks like this according to Hollywood finding joy and peace and happiness looks like this according to Hollywood and not only Hollywood but all these sports people that get these platforms but don't have a clue what God's word says who want to preach about 
what they think morality is and what they think truth is and what they think right and wrong is. And those kinds of things, along with news outlets and media and politicians that stand on platforms but don't have the character to undergird it, is what is telling people what is right and how they ought to live and trying to shape the culture of a nation. Let me tell you something. The culture of a nation will not change the way it needs to until the culture of a nation starts to get back into the scriptures of God's word. And that doesn't happen until God's people start to value God's word. How can you expect people who don't know Christ to value the truth in God's word when you don't? When you make excuses about why you can't read your Bible. Oh, I'm just so busy. Oh, I just don't have enough time. And then you wonder why your house looks more like the world or even worse than the world than, it, than, 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 the, than the Bible says. I know, turning over tables today. We say we want change. We say we want revival. We say we want renewal. We say we want a reset. But our decisions don't reflect what we say we want. We might not believe what 2 Timothy 3.16 says. All scripture is inspired by God. Some scripture, no, not some. What does it say? All, oh, all. And useful to teach. Teach us what is true. To make us realize what's wrong in our lives. Nothing's wrong in my life. I don't, what do you mean? Nothing's wrong in my life. We're gonna get to that in just a moment. It corrects us when we're wrong and teaches us to do what is right. Psalm 119, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Psalm 119, 111, 100 verses later, your laws are my treasure, they're my heart's delight. Come on, repeatedly in God's word, there's, there, there's an emphasis on valuing the word of God. Valuing the word of God. We've got to get back to honoring and valuing the word of God. We say, well, how do we grow in faith? How do, how do I grow in faith? Well, scripture tells us. So faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. It's through the word. You want more faith? Read the word. You want more faith? Listen to the word. You want more faith? Begin to see the word because then you begin to see that God is the God who is able to do the impossible. That there is nothing too difficult for him. Read the word. Receive the word. Decision number three. Repent and remove the idols. It might have been three and four. I'm just putting them together. Repent and remove the idols. This is a football. Going back to Josiah's response, what's it say? When the, when the book of the law was read, 2 Kings twenty two eleven, he tore his clothes in despair. He tore his clothes in despair. He was distraught. He was distraught over the sin. He was distraught over the sin of himself. He was distraught over the sin on his family. He was distraught over the sin in his nation. He tore his clothes. We have sinned against God. We have sinned against God. What do we do? We have sinned against God. And then in, 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 in verse 13, he says, For the Lord's great anger is burning against us because our ancestors have not obeyed the words in the scroll. We've not been doing everything it says we must do. 
He was cut to the heart, friends. He felt the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Can I say that there is a lost art, even in the, even in the church, where we, don't, we have forgotten how to repent and how to grieve over our sin. When was the last time you spent time grieving over your sin, grieving over sin in your family, grieving over the sin in our nation? When was the last time you found yourself cut to the heart and truly grieving and saying, oh God, forgive us. Oh God, what are we to do? I know there are some that think that's a one-time experience. You know, when I come to know Christ, and, and that's a one-time experience. You, is it, so you're perfect from then on? You don't sin? From the time you give your life to Christ, you never sin again? So you never have to repent again? Just read 1 John chapter 1. Because the person that believes that says is a liar. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We, we have lost feeling the conviction and the weight and the burden of sin. We, we struggle with pride because it's, it's not sin. It's not, that we, it's not that we have sin. We just have some bad habits. We don't want to call it sin. I, I didn't sin. I just have some things I struggle with. I have some struggles. I have some weaknesses. Friends, the problem is sin. That's the problem. The problem is sin. The problem in our nation is not a Republican problem or a Democrat problem. The problem in our nation is a sin problem. And it has to be done in the way that God deals with sin, which is conviction and repentance. Without repentance, there is no remission of sin. Scripture says that. Read it. Unless we are under the blood, we face the wrath of God. I've been reading in my devotions the Exodus, and, and, and I just read about the Passover section. And I'm reading a, a devotional called Live Dead. And, and in that devotional, it was just uncovered, just, it was just like a communion message. We're not having communion, but it's like a communion message. Because, because why did God say put the blood over the doorpost? Listen, the blood over the doorpost is the only thing that allowed the angel of death and the wrath of God to, to spare the, the Israelites. Those that didn't do that lost their firstborn, experienced the wrath of God. Listen, without the blood of God over our lives, we experience the wrath of God. I know we talk about God's grace and God's mercy, and He is, and it's wonderful, but you don't understand the, de the depth of God's love unless you understand the burden of your sin. If you don't feel the burden of your sin and the weight of your sin, then you don't understand the great magnifying love and mercy and grace of God. Where is the repentance? When God convicts us of sin, where is the repentance? How easily we just push aside our sin. How easily we set it aside as if it's just some little thing that we can go, oh, I'm sorry, God, okay, and then move on and continue in the same patterns we've been in before. That's not repentance. You can be remorseful without repentance. The day of Pentecost, Peter's preaching away. And this is how the people react. Acts 2.37, Peter's words pierced their hearts. And they said to him and the other apostles, brothers, what should we do? When was the last time we were cut to heart because of our sin? Brothers, what should we do? And Peter says, each one of you must repent of your sins and turn to God 
and be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You cannot have a spiritual reset in your life without repentance. A spiritual reset involves and needs to have repentance because it's repentance that then leads to what Josiah did next. What Josiah did next was very intentional. What Josiah did next was very zealous. It says this in in 2 Chronicles 34, starting in verse 4, he ordered that the altars of Baal be demolished and that the incense altars which stood above them be broken down. And he made sure the Asherah poles, the carved idols, and the cast images were smashed and scattered over the graves of those who had sacrificed to them. And he burned the bones of the pagan priests on their own altars and he purified Judah and Jerusalem and he did the same in the towns of Manasseh, Ephraim, Simeon and as far as Naphtali and the regions around them and he destroyed the pagan altars and the Asherah poles and he crushed the idols into dust and he cut down the incense altars throughout the land of Israel and finally he returned to Jerusalem. That's zealous and radical repentance. That's zealous and radical repentance that says every area, every territory, I'm going in. And if there's an idol, if there's something that stands in the way of my worship to God, if there's something that has attention more than God does, if there's something that has my worship, if there's another God, or if there is any sin, or there is anything in my heart, I don't care how big, how small, I don't care what it is, I'm rooting it out, I'm ridding it out, I'm getting it out of there. I don't want it in my, I don't want it in in our nation anymore. I don't want it in this city anymore. I don't want it in this temple anymore. He got rid of the idols. Hebrews 12, 1. Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, you know what that therefore follows? The hall of faith. In Hebrews chapter 11, all of these people that have gone before all of these that by faith did this and all these people that by faith, since we're surrounded by all of these who have done it before and you're the same God as before, oh, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. There's a marathon of faith before you but some of you are being tripped up by your sin because you don't repent and you refuse to get rid of the sin that trips you up over and over and over again. Like Proverbs says, a dog that returns to his vomit, that's what keeps happening. You keep saying you're sorry, but you're not truly repenting and wrestling and seeing God set you free from the sin that is so clinging to you. The sin keeps clinging to you. Some of you, it's not necessarily overt sin that's in the scripture, but some of it is some weights. You've got some weights. You have some things that are weighing you down in your walk with the Lord. Your schedules are too busy, and you haven't cleared some of the good things out of your life so you can experience the better things that God has for you. There are some good things that you need to let go of because there's something better that God wants to do in your heart. Sometimes we gotta eliminate some things out of our lives. We gotta rid our lives of some things. What is it that's in your life, in your heart, in your household? What are some things that you've been putting up with? What is sin you've just been putting up with rather than dealing with it that keeps tripping you up and tripping up your family that it's time to get ready, it's time to consecrate, it's time to get right with the Lord. Josiah said, you know what, we need a reset. We've got to ask God to cleanse our nation, ask God to cleanse the idols out of our nation and out of our lives. 
That's part of repentance. Letting go of the weights. Josiah radically went through and removed all other forms of worship. And as a result of that, during his reign, his nation wholeheartedly served the Lord. Worship team, come on up. I'm going to close with one final illustration. How many of you heard of D.L. Moody? Anybody ever heard of D.L. Moody, one of the greatest evangelists of our nation? Had a huge impact on our nation. Revival and reform followed his ministry. But early on in his ministry, he had a trip over to Dublin, Ireland. And while he was there, he spoke with a British revivalist by the name of Henry Varley. And this is what Henry Varley said to him. And this is a quote that if you've been around church, you've probably heard this in sermons and heard this preach. But he, he, Henry Varley said to him, the world, this is young man, this is when D.L. Moody's a young man, before his ministry really got going, he said to D.L. Moody, the world is yet to see what God will do with a man fully consecrated to him. The world is yet to see what God will do with a man fully consecrated to him. The story is told that years later, after much ministry, after much of what God had done through D.L. Moody, much revival that had happened and, and reformation and changes that had taken place through his life and through his ministry, he had an opportunity to go back over to England and he met with Varley. And he said to him, he said, hey, I got to tell you something. I don't know if you remember when I was over here as a young man, and to be honest with you, Varley didn't remember the words that he said. He remembered the meeting, but he, did, he didn't remember saying the words that, that, that Moody was going to repeat back to him. But this is what Moody said. Moody said to him, those were the words that sent my soul through you from the living God. Those were the words that were sent to my soul through you from the living God. As I crossed the wide Atlantic, before there were airplanes, right, the boards of the deck of the vessel were engraved with them. And when I reached Chicago, the very paving stones seemed marked with Moody. The world is yet to see what God will do with a man fully consecrated to him. And under the power of these words, he said, I have come back to England and I felt that I must not let any more time pass until I let you know how God used your words to my inmost soul. So I'm asking you today, what could God do with a man who is fully consecrated to him? Is there any Josiahs in the house? Are there any Josiahs in the house? who say, you know what, I'm hearing these words and they're piercing my soul. And you know what, it's time for me to get consecrated, to get serious with the Lord. It's time for me to allow God to do a reset in my life that will impact the next generation of my family, that will break the things that have been in my family history, because I'm not living that way, but I'm going to dedicate my heart and my soul and my life to you. Consecrate me, God, because the world has yet to see what God will do with someone fully consecrated to him is there a man is there a woman that says you know what God I want you to do that in me I want to be Josiah in my generation I want to be Josiah in my community I want to be a Josiah in my family God is looking for some Josiahs that say you know what it's time for me to seek the Lord it's time for me to receive and get into the word of God it's time for me to repent and rid myself of the idols and the weights that are holding me down because all it takes is one 
All it takes is one. Last week we talked about Moses, 80 years old. It doesn't matter if you're eight years old or you're 80 years old. What God doesn't want is your excuses. What God wants is your yes and your willingness and your surrender. God is calling us today. God is calling us today back to him. He's calling us today back to him. He's calling us today to repent of our sin, to feel the weight of our sin and to repent of our sin. God is calling us today and he's looking for some Josiahs today. He's looking for some Josiahs today. I believe there are some of you teenagers in this place that you are a Josiah that God is speaking to your heart and he's saying, will you begin to seek me? Will you begin to get into my word? Will you begin to, to allow yourself to be consecrated? Will you, will you allow me to use your life to change your generation? There are some young adults in the house. Josiah was 26 when the word was uncovered, the book of the law, when he began. There are some of you in your 20s. It is time to put away your childhood. It's time to put away all of those things that the world says are a whole lot of fun and bring joy and see the joy that God will bring to your heart when you consecrate yourself to him. There are some of you in your 30s, in your 40s, in your 50s, in your 60s, your 70s, your 80s. And even some of you in your 90s that God is not finished with you yet. He is looking for some people that will seek him. He is looking for a church that will seek him. He's looking for a church that will consecrate themselves and say, oh God, we humble ourselves before you and we're getting rid of these things. God, that you would use us to transform and impact a community that is in need of you. Is God calling you? Is God calling you today? Is God stirring your heart today? Let's bow our heads. Jesus, we know you're stirring our hearts today. God, I know you're calling some people forth today. I pray in the name of Jesus, Holy Spirit, that you would just begin right now. You would begin right now to move in people's hearts. You would begin right now to begin to till the soil of our hearts right now. I know you're, you're speaking to some right now in the name of Jesus. Enemy, I bind you in the name of Jesus. I bind you in your lies in the name of Jesus. I bind you in your deceit, deceit in the name of Jesus. Lord, speak clearly through your word right now. Let us hear you. Let us hear your drawing, Spirit of God, in this place right now. Right now, in Jesus' name. Somebody right here, somebody, somebody today, you're either watching online or you're in this place, you need to surrender your life to Christ. Maybe it's the first time, or maybe you're just coming, you need to come back to the Lord. You've been, you've been away from God, and you need to come back to Him, or you need to give your life to Him for the first time. Will you slip up your hand right now? Will you let us know on social media, I need to give my life to Jesus. I need to surrender my life to Jesus. I need to come back to Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Somebody else, you're in here. You know the Lord, but you, there's some things in your life you got to get rid of. There's some things in your life that, gotta, that, 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 that have to go. You're feeling that conviction of the Holy Spirit, and you say, Jesus, I need to repent today. Jesus, there's some things i got to get, get out of my life. I need to confess that sin. I need to get that, I need to get that before you and before your throne. And, and, and you just say, I, I, need, I need his forgiveness. That, that's me. i, I got to get some things right with the Lord. If that's you, will you slip up your hand? You might know the Lord. But you say, there's some things in my life need to go. They need to go. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Right now, will you pray with me? If you raise your hand, will you pray with me right now? Let's, let's invite Jesus into our lives right now. Dear Jesus, we thank you today for your love and your mercy and your grace. And God, we're cut to the heart. We recognize, Lord, that we've been away from you, that we've sinned against you. We have sinned against you. 
and we ask you right now for your forgiveness, and we ask you right now for your grace. We don't deserve it, but we invite you, Jesus, to come and to cleanse and to consecrate our hearts and our lives. We ask you, Lord, to begin to, to help us to grow in you, to point out the things in our life that are not pleasing to you, and to give us the courage to make the decisions that we need to, to make so that we can fully and wholeheartedly follow you. God, get rid of the idols in our lives. Get rid of the idols in our lives. Get rid of the sin that so easily entangles. Oh, forgive us, oh God. Forgive us, oh God. We come to you and we repent, oh God, and we return to you, Jesus, wholeheartedly to serve you. Oh, Jesus, we need you. We need you. Jesus, hallelujah. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. We pray that you're encouraged by this message. For more information about Painesville Assembly of God, visit PainesvilleAG.com.